kind of uh, first thing is uh, when I start off this morning, I just, I just want to kind of give you guys a little insight, a little little idea about uh, where 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 my particularly my sermons come from. Um, in other words, you know, where do how do I decide scripture? What scripture we're going to cover every Sunday? How do I decide, you know, the theme and the subject matter, those type of things? Uh, so first and foremost, about ninety percent of the time. I get my scripture off of something that's called the lectionary. Now, I know that's a big word that probably nobody in here is, is aware of. Um, so I'll, t- I'll tell you kind of briefly what the lectionary is. <clears throat> the lectionary is, is, is like a three-year uh, rotation of scriptures, uh, and it kind of coincides with what we call the Christian calendar or the Christian year, the Christian seasons. For example, we're, we're currently in the season of, of uh, we're, almost, we're ending Epiphany, and we're almost being lent. So uh, what happens is, is, is when you're going by these lectionary scriptures, and there's generally, there, there's several of them uh, for each Sunday. There'll be an Old Testament scripture. There'll be a psalm. Uh, there'll be a uh, gospel scripture. and There'll be one from generally the uh, writings of Paul in the New Testament. Um, but what these do is, they again, they coincide with the Christian seasons or the Christian calendar. So, for example, if we're going through Advent, a lot of these scriptures are going to be pertaining to... Uh, to the coming of Christ, whether it's the first coming of Christ and his birth or it's where we're talking about the second coming. A lot of times in Advent, those scriptures are going to focus on that type, the, that theme. Um, let me think, of course, as we're approaching Easter, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to center around, you know, his, Jesus' walk into Jerusalem and uh, the, his, his uh, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, all that stuff. Um, after we get through Pentecost, which is generally around May, and we get to the summer months, and then all the way from the summer months all the way till uh, November, December, when Advent starts, that's a time that's called ordinary time in the in the church, and uh, that's that's the longest period. And generally, those scriptures focus on. It used to be called Kingdom Tide, by the way, um, a long time ago. Uh, that's what that's what they referred to it as. <clears throat> but most of the scriptures in that, and most of the themes in that, are going to pertain to uh, the kingdom teachings of Jesus. Um, y'all know that I spend a lot of time, especially during the summer, talking about the kingdom of God. Uh, so that's kind of that's generally kind of where I get these. So what you're gonna what you're gonna discover, and I tell you this. Uh, for this reason, I give you that big long intro for this reason. You're probably going to notice some similarities about what we covered today and what we covered last week, and some similarities between today and what we covered actually several weeks ago. I think about around mid-December, and there's a reason for that because these scriptures kind of coincide with the same theme. They appear at the same time of the year, to the same part of the Christmas or uh, uh, Christian season, and uh, so you're going to see once again uh, similarities. Now, I don't do that all the time. Like I said, 90% of the time, probably. I pick scriptures out of what, what I just referred to as the lectionary readings. But there are times, of course, when I feel like God has led, laid something specific on my heart uh, that he wants to talk about. Y'all know that we've gone through series based on prayer. We've gone through a series based on a book, The Good and Beautiful God, one time. And, and a lot of times I will go off topic um, or, or off of the lectionary, what I call the lectionary scriptures. Uh, just when I, again, when I feel like God's placed something on my heart to talk about. Uh, Kevin, Kevin and Paulette will tell you. <laughs> they, uh, I send my scriptures to them at the beginning of the week, generally on Monday morning, uh, whatever I've decided to preach for the following Sunday. Well, they'll tell you that's not always the case. Sometimes around Wednesday or Thursday, I feel like God's put something on my mind, and I've got to shoot them another email. Hey, it's that wrong scripture. We're going something with something else. Uh, but, that's just, but that's just the way it works. Uh, so, anyway, you know, that's just kind of, kind of where, where I get my ideas from. Now, not, all, not, all, not all preachers follow that. Uh, Everybody's got a different way of doing it. That's just the way that I do it. Again, I tell you all that stuff uh, because right now what we're covering are lectionary scriptures. So they're gonna, a lot of them are going to pertain to the same, to the same uh, types of themes. Something else y'all may have noticed 
about, uh, if you've been at Bemis for a while, about my preaching and scriptures that I use, is generally, most of the time, I try to keep it to a short scripture. In other words, I generally won't preach on anywhere over about four to six verses. And, and there's a reason for that. Because um, I know that it can be overwhelming. And I know that if I read too much, too much Bible, you guys, it can get confusing. Believe it or not, I've sat out there before, so I know exactly what you're going, to, going through. So I know if a preacher's up here, going, and he's re, he or she is reading the Bible re, uh, for 30 to 60 seconds, after about 60 seconds, that mind's going to start wandering. Because it gets confused, and it, gets, it doesn't understand what's going on a lot of times. <laughs> and you're already out the door, man. You're already thinking about what, what's for lunch. So I don't want to do that to you. I don't want to overwhelm you. Uh, so, I, yeah, that's why I generally try to keep it to about four to six verses uh, most, most Sundays. And we get a good primary theme, and um, that's where our, our, our Sunday morning sermon portion comes from. Today is not going to be like that. <laughs> today, today, is, uh, today is a very, very long piece of Scripture. As you guys have probably noticed, if you got, if you got a uh, copy uh, of, the, uh, of the church bulletin there. And uh, I did try to cut this Scripture down. This comes out of the lectionary, um, and I, I, I tried to, to cut it back a little bit, um, but I just couldn't find a way to do that because everything that's in that scripture, uh, as far as I could tell, uh, is, is just vitally important uh, to what we're going to talk about this morning. So, thus, the long scripture today, uh, but I don't want you to get overwhelmed, okay? And I don't, I don't want you to fret, and I don't want you to start thinking about what you're going to be eating after you leave here today. Um, because I'm going to try my best to explain it to you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read through it one time, and then I'm going to come back and, 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 uh, and kind of break it down for you to the best of my ability uh, as concisely and as quickly as I possibly can. But it comes out of uh, Isaiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, and it's chapter 58. I know that Isaiah happens to be one of my brother Kevin's favorite books in the Bible. It's one of my favorite books, too. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about prophets and what prophets are here in a second as well. Um, but it's, it's really, it's, it's the majority of that entire chapter. Uh, there are a few more verses at, after, afterwards. Y'all feel free to read those later. But we're just going to be looking at 1 through 12. And again, I'm going to try to I'll read these, uh, read through at one time, try not to lose y'all. And uh, I'll come back and try to break it down as quickly and concisely as possible. So starting in verse 1. Isaiah 58 starts out, Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what's right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and they seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting you do as you please and you exploit your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast that I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? Is that a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked, to clothe them, and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then, then, 
your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the point of pointing of fingers and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf, on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in darkness and your night will become like noonday. That's the word of God for the people of God. So everybody's nice and confused right now, right? Yeah, I don't, and I don't blame you, you know, especially if you don't, especially if you don't have any familiarity at all. Uh, with Isaiah and what prophets are and, and what's going on, uh, particularly in the scripture. So I'm going to try to break that down for you uh, real quick. You know, right now our uh, our Bible study group on Wednesday nights I think is really cool. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I hope you guys are enjoying it just a quarter as much as I am. Um, but right now what we're talking about is we're talking about the flow of the Bible, okay? And last week, last Wednesday, not this past Wednesday, Wednesday before last, we talked about how the Bible is kind of broken down into sections, Okay? And I'm not going to go through all of that for you, but what I will tell you is that the vast majority of the Old Testament, beyond, really beyond Genesis, all the way from Exodus till the end of the Old Testament, the vast majority of the Old Testament is about God's relationship with his creation. Okay? More specifically, it's about God's relationship with the people of Israel. Okay? And it's, uh, it's, it's this thing where which, what you discover in the Old Testament is that God makes what we call, and what's referred to in the Bible, as covenants with the people of Israel. Uh, think of it kind of like a contract. It's a contract between, between two entities, between God and between the, uh, the people of Israel. And what happens is, it, what it looks like is God sets the contract. He sets up certain specific conditions, and he promises to bless the people if they obey these conditions, right? Here's the thing. And you see this throughout the Old Testament. God always sticks to his end of the bargain. Okay? He always sticks to his end of the deal. The people, not so much. Okay? So what you get in the Old Testament, what you find in the Old Testament, you find this back and forth relationship, back and forth relationship. God making covenants with the people of Israel, the people of Israel not being able to stick to it. God coming back, making another covenant. People not being able to stick to it. God coming back, making another covenant. People not being able to stick to it. And that's basically the story of the Old Testament. Uh, so what you get in the book of Isaiah is one of several books in the Old Testament that we call the prophetic books, books of the prophets. Isaiah is one of several prophets that you find uh, in, in the Old Testament. And what did a prophet do? Let me go ahead and tell you, prophets are not fortune tellers. I don't know how in the world we got this idea that that's what, that's what a prophet was, probably from crazy people on television. Prophets are not fortune tellers. They may, there, there may be an element to that uh, that we find in the Bible. But for the most part, that's not, that's not what a prophet is. A prophet is really somebody who speaks the word of God for the most part. It's the easiest way to understand it. Uh, what they primarily did is they attempted to draw people back to God when they were messing up, okay? When they were not keeping their end of the bargain, when they were not keeping their end of the, uh, of the covenant. God spoke through Isaiah, and God spoke through these Old Testament prophets. There's New Testament prophets, and yes, there's prophets in the church right now, and people don't like them either. But God spoke through, the, uh, spoke these, through Isaiah and, uh, and all these other prophets that, uh, and confronted people with their personal sins. They confronted people with their social, their uh, societal sins. They would warn people of the consequences of what would happen if, if they continued to, uh, to go against the will of God and against their, their end of the covenant. 
And uh, for the most part, what we find out in the Old Testament is, is despite all these prophetic warnings, the people still didn't listen. They didn't care for the most part. As a matter of fact, some of these guys, a number of these guys even wound up getting killed. Well, when I like what he's saying, take them out to the court, take them out the court and kill them. And, and they did. Um, so yeah, they didn't care for the prophets, but this is the story of what the prophets were, who the prophets were. Uh, so let me give you a quick rundown of what's going on here in Isaiah 58. Now that we know who, I, who, who the prophets are and, and, and what he's essentially doing. He's getting on to people is what he's doing. God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah to address the people and where, where they are failing. Basically, the whole idea of Isaiah 58 is that he is confronting self-righteous, half-hearted religion and half-hearted religious practice. He's confronting religious hypocrisy. It's very, very similar. If you guys were here last week, it's a very, very similar situation to what we read about in Micah chapter 6 last week. It's also a very, very similar situation to what we read about, and I reverted back to you last week as well, in Amos chapter 5. Um, I'm not going to go back and remind you guys of that. Uh, just know that they're, they're, they're very, very similar circumstances uh, of what's going on among the people. They're going through the motions of religion, but they're either ignoring or they are flat out abusing the neediest among them. And, uh, and God's not happy about it. And you can, you, can, you can sense the upsetness, if you will, in the voice of God right there in the very first verse. He writes to the prophet Isaiah. Y'all check out that. Is the first verse up? Yeah. God says, shout. What I'm about to tell you, Isaiah, shout this to the people. Raise your voice as loud as you can so the people will hear what I have to say because this is serious business and I have absolutely had it. That's essentially what verse 1 means. Shout this. I'm serious about this. I am tired of dealing with this nonsense. I'm not going to read 2 through 5. I'm just going to break it down for you real quick. But what 2 through 5 is, it is it's basically God calling the people out on their religious hypocrisy. They're going through all the right motions. They claim that they have been obediently fasting. We know fasting is a religious practice or religious discipline. So they say, God, we've been fasting. Why are you ignoring us? Why are you not blessing us? Why are you not doing for us what we need? Okay? But God, again in those same verses 2, 3, 5, God says, no, no. Your fasting is absolutely pointless. Yeah, you've been fasting, but you've also been exploiting and taking advantage of the people who work under you. You've been fasting. Read these verses. Now, I'm not making this up. You've been fasting, but among yourselves, not only are you quarreling, you are literally fist fighting one another. Basically, you're practicing the discipline of fasting, but your hearts are cold and you're unconcerned about the neediest among you, those who are literally around you. So he says in verses 4 and 5, he says, surely you can't expect me to hear you if this is what you call fasting. This is unacceptable. Now fasting, fasting really doesn't matter here. It could be anything. You know, it could be coming to yeah, you're coming to church on Sunday, but you're doing this. Okay, you're not, you're not doing this. Yeah, you're reading your Bible, but you're not taking care of these people. You don't care about these people. Yeah, you might be saying a prayer to me in this morning, but you could care less about your neighbor who was hurting. Okay, that's the message. It really has little to do actually with fasting. It's just saying, I, I mean, you're engaged in religious practices, 
but your heart's cold and you're not doing what I told you to do. So then he switches gears after verse 5 and he tells the people and he tells us what real religious practice is. He says, this is the kind of fasting or this is the kind of practice that I want. And then he gives us, here's, here it is again. You remember last week we talked about how plain this is, how straightforward God's directions are here, and that I told you I understand that the Bible can be confusing and we have to take a lot of stuff into consideration when we're interpreting the Bible, but the, the verse that we read last week, the verses that we read last week is not one of those cases. It's very plain language, very easy to understand. This is the same, same idea here, exact same thing. There's no, there's, you can't confuse this, okay? This is about as straightforward as it gets. This is what I want you to do. This is real religious practice in my eyes. Now, I'm going to read this to you from a different version than what's up here on the screen. I'm going to read this to you uh, actually like I did last week as well. I'm going to read you what God says real fasting is from the, uh, from the message translation of the Bible. It's just a little bit more contempor contemporary language, and I think that it drives the point home uh, really well for us. But this is what God says. He says, all right, you guys are doing all these religious practices, but you're in, your heart's in the right place. You're beating each other up. You're quarreling. You're taking advantage of folks. This is what I want you to be doing. This is the kind of fast that I'm after, God says. To break the chains of injustice, to get rid of exploitation in the workplace, to free the oppressed, to cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the sugaring ill-clad, being available to your own families. Interesting point right here. At the very end of chapter 7, what I just read to you um, says, in your own families. The NIV translation here says, do not turn away from your own flesh and blood. That does not mean your kin. That does not mean your relatives. And I think that's, the, that's probably the impression most of us get when we read those words. That's got nothing to do with people who are related to you. Your family, in this case, or your own flesh and blood, is referring to every single person that was just listed in that long list given by God. The poor wanderer, the hungry, the naked. God says that's literally your family. It's literally your family. That's who I'm talking about. You're turning away from them. That kind of drives it home a little bit better, doesn't it? That kind of cuts a little, little deep. So what happens if we turn our hearts? What happens if these people then, what happens if we now turn our hearts and actually carry out, <laughs> actually do the simple things God calls us to do, he tells us right here in these verses. If this happens, God says, if this becomes your method, fasting is the example that's used here, but if this becomes your method of spiritual practice, if this becomes the method of the way you live out your religion, if this becomes your common routine practice, what you're going to experience is you're going to experience blessings. You're going to experience, he literally says this, you're going to experience healing. The absolute glory and the presence of God will be all over you. It will be thick. You will call and I will answer, he says. You will cry for help and God will say, here I am. 
Now the remaining verses of that chapter um, are basically just rehashing everything that he just said. Is eleven and twelve up there, Carl? Yes. Okay. Go back to the go back to the uh, the nine and ten. One more up. Verse 9. Oh, ho now. Slow down. <laughs> so basically the remaining verses here, he's just he, he repeats what he's already said. You're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this. What I want you to do is this. And if you start doing this, this is what's going to happen. So like the first sec, uh, second part there of verse 9. If you do away with the oppression, quit oppressing people, quit with the finger pointing and the malicious talk, you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in darkness. Your night will become like noonday. Go ahead, Carl. The Lord will guide you. He will satisfy your needs. And sun, sun scorched land will strengthen your frame. Your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild your ancient ruins. will raise up the... Y'all get the point. If you start doing this, you're going to experience blessings. Imagine that. Imagine if we actually carry out what God asks us to do, we might experience blessings. What a concept, right? If we don't carry out, or if we fail to carry out, if we're hard-hearted and if we're cold to carrying out what God has plainly told us to do, what's probably going to happen? Probably not going to be good. It really is that simple. The message, again, is the same as it was last week. It was, it was different circumstances and maybe a couple different concepts. But let me just repeat to you uh, something I said about that last week. You know, it doesn't matter if we attend church every time the doors are open. It doesn't matter if we pray multiple times a day. It doesn't matter if we read our Bibles faithfully. We can do all those things religiously. But if we are void of being pursuers of justice, if we are void of being pursuers of equality for the good of all people, we turn our backs on the homeless, the naked, the hungry, the oppressed, certainly if we, in, if we in any way, shape, or form take advantage of any of those. All this coming to church and Bible reading and prayer is absolutely meaningless in the eyes of God. I didn't say it, church. You can get mad at me if you want. God said it. All of it is absolutely meaningless. We might as well stay home. We might as well sell the church property, put our Bibles away, and just join the rest of the world because we're just going through the religious motions. And that's not what God wants. It's not what God expects. And as a matter of fact, God says he's kind of sickened by it. They weren't keeping up their end of the bargain. Are we keeping up our end of the bargain? That's kind of what it amounted to. What it amounted to. Is this about my salvation? No, this isn't about your salvation. Your salvation is by grace through faith alone. We all know that. I'll never preach earning your salvation. I will preach all day long the will of God as a response to your salvation. Salvation, the mercy, the grace of God should put us in a place to where we desire to be these things. That's the thing. Salvation is not about self-righteousness. I'm glad we all got our ticket into heaven. That's one thing. But God says we got a job to do here as well. And it looks like this. 
Y'all, we talked about, here's, here's, some, here's how I'm going to end it and give you guys some application. How do I apply this now? If I got a problem, how do I fix it? <clears throat> Y'all may remember two or three, two or three week, weeks ago, I talked to you guys about the, all, the, the, the way that, that all of these outside influences that we have around us affects us and how all of these outside influences um, affect the way that we think and they affect our, our hearts. The two are not disconnected. They're one and the same. And what I mean by that is that the relationships that we have, the friendships that we have, the acquaintances that we have, the work environment that we have, the school environment that we have, the music we listen to, the social media that we follow, the news medias that we follow, all of these external things that we are exposed to minute by minute are what's forming us in our heads and our hearts all day long. All day long. It affects the way that we think. It affects the way that we think about people. It affects the way we treat people, etc., etc., etc. So what I'm going to challenge you to do, what I'm going to ask you to do this morning as we read this, as we take, as we take this seriously, if anything in your life that you are allowing into your minds and into your hearts puts a bad taste in your mouth, about those who are on the margins of society, who God specifically mentions here, the ones who Jesus refers to as the least of these. You need to shut that stuff out of your life. And be honest with yourself. Is what I'm taking in healthy for me? Is what I'm taking in spiritually healthy? Is what I'm taking in spiritually beneficial for the other person? Or is it turning me cold? Is it pitting me against another person? Or is it pitting me against another, another group of people? Folks, cut that stuff out of your life. Cut that stuff out of your life. It's cancer. It is absolutely, and I know that may sound dreadful. it's cancer to the soul. And it is in direct opposition to the very words of God. If anything is changing you, if anything is Putting, again, putting a bad taste in your mouth about these folks that God specifically mentions. This is not vague information. This is very specific. Cut that stuff out of your life. What's another way I can start applying this to my life? Probably one of the best applications of these scriptures that I can give you today. The absolute best way that I can advise you to start putting these things into practice is for you to go out and spend some time with the very people that Isaiah mentions here. Spend some time with a homeless person. Have an actual, real conversation with a homeless person. Spend some time with the, with the poor. And I don't mean just as somebody who's, hey, I'm here to give you something. I mean as somebody who actually cares about that person. Spend time with them. Invest something in them. I'm not talking monetarily. I'm talking about your time and your effort. Spend some time with people that you would not normally associate with. Spend some time with people who don't think like you. Spend some time with people who don't look like you. 
people who don't have the same advantages as you. You know, one of the things that I, that I, that I love that, that's happened here at Bemis, man, is I, I love seeing the light go off when this happens with some of our people. This is one of the reasons that we, are, are do, we, do, we try to do so much outreach stuff. And when I see one of our members, whether it's out here or back to school, whatever, back to school thing, whatever, that's happened so many times at this point. But when I see our people not being there as somebody who's got something to give you, because that kind of puts us up in an upper level, you know, kind of puts us above somebody. But when I see our people actually get down on equal footing, equal grounding with another person who is clearly suffering in some way, shape, or form, and I see our people put their hands on their shoulder, and I see our people pray with these folks, and I see our people conversing and smiling and laughing with these people. They know it just happened. And they feel it too. And they sense it as well. And they make that real, real connection. That will melt your heart all day long. Some of y'all in this room have experienced that. And it's a beautiful thing. This is what happens when we intentionally try to form these relationships. Cut the nonsense out of your life. If it's affecting your mind, if it's affecting your heart negatively towards folks, stop it. Just cut it out. It's not worth it. It's killing your soul. Spend some time with people. Y'all pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. We thank you, God, for, for the prophets who have come before us, the prophets who, who remain with us. Uh, it's not easy to hear, God. This, this is, these are not... These are, we, we, we like happy messages, Lord. We like, to under, we like to be told how well we're doing and how great we are. But God, we fail. We fail. We're just to be honest, we just we just we just fail sometimes. Draw us back to you, God, if we're if we're struggling in these areas. Draw us back to you, draw us back to your word, draw us back to your intention for us. And once again, give us hearts, Lord, that are drawn away from ourselves and that are pushed in the direction of loving and serving others. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.